G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway Podcast, the podcast that's all about intermittent fasting. I'm your host, Graham Curry from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilograms or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and successfully maintained that weight loss. I'm also the author of the Amazon category best-selling book, The Fasting Highway, which will give you a great insight into what it's actually like to live it day to day, how to get started, what it's about, what are some of the health benefits that come from it, and how to turn it into a successful long-term lifestyle. In this series of podcasts, you'll be hearing from people from all over the world, from the beginners to the experienced and those that are on the journey. You'll also be hearing from some leaders in the intermittent fasting community, and you'll also be hearing from some past guests as we recheck in to see how they've been going. And thank you for joining us here on the Fasting Highway. Enjoy the show. G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast, and this is episode 148. And just before I get started with today's exciting guest, as usual, a couple of quick thank yous. I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in each week. Thank you for supporting the podcast by listening to all our amazing guests. It really is appreciated, and the podcast is growing from strength to strength. If you want to support the podcast, the way that you can do that is by purchasing a copy of my book, The Fasting Highway, a story about my own journey. Now, you'll find that on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle, or you can, if you're in New Zealand or Australia, you can actually get a copy of it direct from me at my website, www.thefastinghighway.com. Okay, folks, let's get on to today's guest, and I'm going to be speaking with the amazing Ruth Gale. And Ruth is from Melbourne, Australia, and Ruth is 55 years old and the mother of two wonderful sons who are 15 and 20. And Ruth works as a psychotherapist and soul companion, primarily with people encountering death, dying, grief, and loss. And when she first started her IF journey, she felt like it was the last throw of the dice after a lifelong struggle to be healthy and a happy body. And she feels she is about halfway along this journey, nine months into an IF lifestyle. And when she started during a highly stressful period in her life and wants to encourage others to start exactly where they are, she is very much focused on progress and not perfection. And here to tell us her amazing story is Ruth Gale. Oh, g'day, Ruth, and welcome to the Fasting Highway. And thank you so much for joining me there all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Thank you, Graham. I'm really happy to be here. Happy to have you here. You're a very inspiring member of our Facebook community, and I'm delighted to talk to you. But, Ruth, for the people around the world that may not know you or your story, if you wouldn't mind just sharing that and sort of any problems you had with weight and health in your life and sort of how you found your way to intermittent fasting and how you got going with it. Oh, it, I'm sure that every guest that you have ever asked that question took a big, deep breath <laughs> before they began to answer it. And, uh, well, I'm um, 55. Um, I wasn't an obese child. I was a really athletic little girl, um, traumatic family background. And so I was the only girl in my family. <laughs> and I... And, uh, oh, and I can feel my heart beating really hard. And I'm reminding myself of all of the stories that I've heard um, on this podcast and the deep stories that I've heard. Um, I, I'd like to uh, just name one of the podcasts that I listen to. I think it's um, Tracy, Tracy, Neal, Tracy Neal's podcast, The New Zealand Woman. Yeah. Um, when Graham reached out to me to ask me if I would like to share where I'm up to with IF, I um, 
the big part of me kind of went, no, <laughs> you know, no. I was frightened to tell my story because it, um, it's emotional and deep. And uh, then I heard Tracy's story of um, being abused as a little girl and the tragedies in her childhood and the losses as an adult and her journey with addiction. And I had so much um, respect for her uh, in opening that space and being so down to earth about it. And so I thought I can, there is a space here for me to tell a part of my story. So, um, so I was also sexually abused as a little girl and that sort of formed the platform of body struggle that I had over the years. So, and, and all of that, all of that, uh, all that goes with that, um, being frightened to be in a girl's body, my body, because it had attracted, you know, I blame myself like most little kids do, you know, thinking it was something to do with me. And um, so I grew into a normal sort of little girl's body. I think um, a lot of my eating has been emotional eating and self-protective eating um, in order to cope with um, my body. You know, my experiences in my body to not feel them. I just wanted to pause and really reflect on that. I mean, that's a terrible thing to happen to any child. And big shout out to Tracy Dixon, Neil Lear, and Annie Farrow in New Zealand. And it was a very emotional story that she shared, as yours is. And I'm sorry that happened to you. So, so you had sort of a yo-yo sort of a sort of relationship with your weight for a while, did you? And then you sort of, how did you find your way up to intermittent fasting? Uh, yes. So yo-yo is a really good um, way to describe it. So, uh, yes, I had a yo-yo uh, experience with my weight and I couldn't really understand why I couldn't keep my weight down. I wasn't excessively fat in my late teens or early 20s, but like, you know, we live in a, in a, ex- extremely fat phobic culture so I had those sort of mental struggles anyway because I wasn't read thin but I also was strong and athletic and you know like I hiked to Everest base camp when I was 20 and I went traveling and I experienced lots of um, the freedom that comes with that and and I also experienced the difficulties that can come with that so once again um, there are like two aspects to this so there's the trauma aspects of um, stress on just being stressed about being in my body and attracting the attention of men and all of that sort of thing and not really knowing how to deal with it and being a bit broken in a part of myself and not really at that point in my life being fixed or not fixed but you know I just didn't have the tools to navigate very safely and and that did lead to um, another really very traumatic experience when I was traveling um, where I was um, raped by my tour guide in the jungles of Thailand um, after I drank too much because part of what I did was I drank too much. And so once again, this sort of uh, inability to protect my body was part of my story. But on the other side, I was also traveling and I'd experienced the most incredible and intense freedom and I hadn't really experienced that before. So hard things and fantastic things walking alongside each other in my life. And the other thing that happened was I didn't know that I was gluten intolerant. And when I went traveling, I was away for over six months. I was only, I was 19 when I left and I was 20, well, I was, yeah, I was 20 when I left and 21 when I came home. And um, I was traveling in Southeast Asia, Nepal and India, and there's not a lot of wheat in the food. And so I just dropped a huge amount of weight um, effortlessly. I was very active every day and all of that sort of thing, but uh, but I was also not having something in my body that was kind of kicking back on me the whole time. 
Um, so that was actually really excellent. And uh, then I came back to Melbourne and resumed eating like I had before. And I just got incredibly heavy, incredibly fast. And I couldn't really work it out because I was a relatively healthy eater. Um, I'd kind of grown up in a family um, where, you know, we ate pretty healthy food and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, so up went the weight. And then I met a really beautiful man um, who I married when I was 22. But in the lead up to getting married to him, I, um, I went on a really extreme diet and I drank <laughs> lemon, hot water and cayenne pepper for 10 days, you know, like just craziness and uh, just trying to kind of make myself perfect you know, to be in a perfect package to marry this beautiful um, man. Anyway, and that then that just kicked off this yo-yo, and I yo-yoed up and down. We do. We bottle it up, and, um, you know, it's not till we talk about these things that, you know, it becomes more freeing and we can sort of deal with them and move on. We can't change the past, but we can change the future, and what I'm really glad about is you met that beautiful man when you were 22 and, and married him, and that's great. And so you have your life of struggle with weight and that sort of thing, was it a sort of a decade, sort of long sort of struggle that you've had with your weight now? 35 years. Yeah, decades, yeah. Decades of struggle with my weight. Um, so the trauma from my experiences as a little girl reared its head in my marriage and I wasn't really able to cope with it. And that's when I began my healing journey. But it did lead to the end of my marriage with a very loving man. At about 28, I became pregnant to a not very loving man and I lost my first child at birth, um, Isaac. And, and uh, that, that was um, extraordinarily uh, painful and joyful at the same time, which sounds insane, but it actually was the beginning of my healing, really my, my healing. I um, really fully... And uh, when he was born, I had this um, experience of the most pure love that I'd ever felt, and and even his death didn't change that. Um, I feel like he gave me this incredible gift of uh, loving presence in my body <laughs> and opened that sort of um, space between the worlds of life and death, which is never closed for me and is part of my work, and that's part of why I do what I do now with um, others. And so that was really, really intense and it led to a period of homelessness and I had to actually get back on my feet big time. I kind of wanted to go a bit mad in the year after he – I wish I could go mad the year after he died. And I and I lost my job and, you know, it was just a complete bollocks. <laughs> and, um, and then when I did get back on my uh, feet, I started to train as a psychotherapist, which is um, part of the work that I do now. And I started to really, what was giving me so many difficulties in my life, which was some of the trauma I hadn't dealt with in my body and my fear, fear of other people, particularly men. Anyway, so I did get back on my feet and I trained as a psychotherapist and I found a place to live and I met my um, next husband and we started a life together and we've had two beautiful boys um, who are now 15 and 20 but throughout that journey if I look back over my life journey of my body and having children um, one of the things that happened was that I then had another baby uh, die at birth so 10 years apart 
I had that experience and this time it was much, much harder because I felt like I'd done everything I could. I couldn't understand why, how it could possibly happen again. Yeah, I'm really sorry that happened. And Gabriel. Pause and, and um, reflect on the memory of Isaac and I'm sure he's super proud of his, his mum and, and the second child there that you lost as well. Gabriel. Gabriel. It's my second boy, Gabriel. Yeah. Gabriel and you've got two delightful children now, the 15. Rory and Bill. Yeah, I'm sure they're super proud of their mum and, you know, yeah. everything that you've achieved in life. And we'll just yeah. touch on, before we get on to the sort of weight issues and that, we heard in the intro there that you are a psychotherapist and soul companion, mm-hmm. um, which you sort of found your feet again and, and led you to that career pathway. So let's just talk about that. What actually is a psychotherapist and a soul companion? Ah, well, a psychotherapist is a person, we're not psychologists, but we have a training in psychology, but not a technical training. With um, therapists, in that we work directly with what arises. The kind of psychotherapist I am, I work directly with what arises with my clients in the session, with their body, their dreams, their feelings, and their responses. And a lot of the work is to create a very safe container um, to hear the truth of what's actually present in their life, and then compassionately hold that and hold it in a way that they can hold it to, you know, and integrate it. So a lot of my work is actually quite body-based, body and feeling-based. Soul companion side of it, that's dealing with people that are going through grief and trauma and that sort of thing, I take it. Going through um, specifically um, in a more spiritual sort of way. So I'm a medium and that is a person who is able to communicate with um, people who have passed. Um, it's an unusual um, occupation in our world, um, and and that work sprang directly out of what I call the space that opened around my own children dying and the direct relationship that I've sort of had in. I, I, my belief is that we that our soul doesn't die, and and that we can communicate. I don't mean like a telephone, but sort of um, feelings and images in, in in an evidential way, which is a way um, where we bring through things that we can't possibly know so that the other person knows that it's their person who is present with them. Super interesting. And I think, you know, what you've talked about and the emotions and the stress and all these things that have happened to you in your life, obviously stress is a, a big part of why we gain weight. Yes. Because when you stress, you tend to emotionally do things like overeating or you're not worried about yourself and you sort of let yourself go if you like and then weight creeps up and creeps up and then all of a sudden you get to a point where you just get to a breaking point and you say, I've got something about this. So when did you get to a point in your life where you just thought, right, I'm going to do something about this or where did you actually hear about intermittent fasting and how did you get going with that? So twice before in my life, I've um, lost significant amounts of weight, you know, 20 and 30 kilos. The first time I did that was um, probably, what are we now, 2022? So going back maybe 2015, I've, I've gotten up to about 120 kilos. And I'm five foot four, by the way, so my sort of stats, I'm five foot four and that's a ton of weight on my body, 120 kilos. Um, and so I lost about 30 kilos eating basically 90% raw greens, nuts and seeds. And as you can imagine, that's a very low-calorie diet. Once again, I felt fantastic for about three or four months. 
And then it's incredibly restrictive. It's really hard to eat with other people. And I was still cooking all the foods for my family and everything else. Like I'm, I'm very, once I get onto something, I get completely focused and I can concentrate and, and do it, right? So I don't have like willpower issues in that way. And so I fully devoted myself to that. And then I hit the absolute shocker, which is that you can be doing that, all of those things and exercising and everything else, and your weight can start to increase. And that's actually what happened to me. And so I was about six months into that kind of eating pattern, you know, no no, no crappy food. And, and I still didn't know I was gluten intolerant then, but I'd cut out all those things. And so my body had sort of calmed down and I lost quite a bit of weight. And then it just crept back on, just crept back on. And that was just, and then I felt defeated and went, oh, bugger it, you know, I'm bloody eating green, green salads every single day, you know, all day, every day. Um, and it's not working. And so I gave up. Big shout out to Amanda, by the way. We had Amanda Collins on the podcast, as you said, some time ago. And Amanda lives in Victoria also. And she's also a well known author. And, and that sort of thing. But sort of when you started, let's go through your stats. I mean, we read there in your bio that you started back in sort of earlier this year, at the start of the year. In February the 2nd, I started IF properly. Yeah, and let's just run through your stats. Sort of what weight were you there and um, the rest of it? I was 130 kilos. I was probably more, but I couldn't even bear to get on a scale. I hadn't gotten on a scale for a long time. Um, and, yeah, and I'm five foot four. And... And I did my measurements at the beginning as well. And that, I'm really glad I did that because, like, the centimeters I've lost off my waist and, and hips just blow my mind, just the amount of fat. Well, I, had, um, I knew I was insulin resistant and I was developing prediabetes. And all of the reading that I'd done um, via um, Dr. Fung, Dr. Jason Fung, just let me know that I probably was going to need slightly longer windows. Um, so I started with ADF um, and I also knew that I could fast. And because of my food sensitivities, I um, also knew that I felt better fasting than I did eating at that point in my life, even though I love I haven't really had a junk food issue. I've had an emotional eating issue for sure. Like I would eat to stuff my feelings down because my feelings hurt around a lot of things. But I, um, but I, and, and when I was at my worst, I did have an issue with sugar, but I knew that once I'd hit the point where I was eating to the point that it was pain, you know, when you eat so much, it hurts, you know, so I had a little bit of that binge eating. Um, but that wasn't my constant life. That was when I was at an extreme sort of point. I knew I was past the point where I needed to sort of, I, I'd have to come back from there and find other ways. So I have had developed a lot of tools over my lifetime. So I could come back from that binge point, but I knew I was in trouble once I hit the, you know, hitting, getting the Turkish delights out of the cupboard and eating a big bag of potato chips and, and eating things I knew would make me sick, like, you know, um, stuff with wheat in or oh, all right, I'll have a piece of that pizza that we're having on Friday night even though it makes me sick and so the kids got older and went why are you eating that it makes you sick so they were a real um, truth teller in my house in a non-shaming way they'd say oh mum why are you having that you know it doesn't make you feel well you know and it was out of love it wasn't out of oh don't do that so that was very helpful to me that's your kids loving you yeah, Isn't that, aren't we lucky? <laughs> I'm not going to make you feel good, so why eating it? And I always say to people, eat what makes you feel your greatest. Yes. It's a turning point for me. Once I learned that, 
Once I learned that message, eat what makes you feel your greatest instead of eat whatever you want. Because that message is bandied around far too much in the intermittent fasting community and people take it and they run with it and they get into trouble because eating whatever you want made me as obese as I was. And once I learned that sort of correction, eat what makes you feel great, and then the whole world turns. But So let's get back to when you started, and you mentioned there that you started with ADF, which isn't unusual for a lot of people that, that start off with intermittent fasting, of course. And mm-hmm. just run us through that, and you mentioned there why you actually chose it, and you thought that the extra fasting was going to help you better. And what, what sort of program were you starting? And just run us through how you actually started that alternate day fasting. So get eating more ketogenically made it easier to fast. Um, so I, I don't eat keto as such because one of the things that's really incredibly appealing to me about intermittent fasting is actually being able to eat as I choose. You know, and as you say, eat what makes me feel good, but without kind of a diet mentality about restricting particular foods, unless, of course, you know, for me, gluten gluten is just not a friend, and just just learned that over time. Um, so I, uh, you know, um, what's his name, Michael Mosley. He released a new book on eight hundred, you know, doing eight hundred keto, a few eight hundred calories a day two days a week or something. So uh, prior to starting IF properly, I I sort of started doing that and I went, oh, there is no way in hell I'm going to be able to sustain this. Then I read the Fast Feast Repeat and went, this is the key here. (laughs) This is the key here. So I ate healthy, sustaining foods. I on the days that I ate. Actually, my appetite correction kicked in really fast because I didn't really – yeah, that that was helpful to the point that I was worried I wasn't eating enough because I did not want to be in a calorie-restricted state and losing weight. I just wanted to eat well and fast, eat well and fast and see if that was actually the key. And that really did seem to be the key. And I've got to say, one of the things I absolutely love with intermittent fasting is the daily part. It's like if you have a bad day, eating-wise, like you accidentally ate some trigger food or you're having an emotionally hard time and you overeat or whatever it is that you've done, then you've got fasting to help your body calm down and reset. So for me, the calming down and resetting is absolutely key. So it's so good because it lets my body calm down. And that was just day on, day off for quite a few months, day on, day off. Um, I did that and and the weight started coming off and I had a huge amount of swelling, you know, water weight because I'm a very kind of fluid retention-y kind of person. So a lot of water weight came off. I also had, um, I mean, was in perimenopause. I think I've actually moved through that. So just to shout out to all the other women out there who've been told they can't lose weight through that period, um, you absolutely can using the tools of IF. Yeah, so you were doing the alternate day fasting, uh, sort of, if you like, one day on, one day off. Yeah, you were working. like Sniffy to Foofy. <laughs> yeah, and same Sniffy to Foofy, one of our great moderators in the Fasting Highway group, of course, and he's been on the podcast a couple of times, but... So with that sort of system, on those sort of uh, down days, you were sort of not eating at all, and then on your up days, and just explain the importance of the refeed day and why that's so important when you're doing oh. the day fasting. It's really important not to uh, run your body into the ground. Like we need to eat well and nourish our bodies because people would argue, oh, it's calorie restriction that's causing the effects. You know, it's not fasting. 
But um, one way to make sure that that isn't the truth is um, to actually eat well, you know. Um, I mean, I had a lot of the things that happen when you change your diet, like a lot of my hair fell out. I've got a lot of hair, you can see that, Graham. But a lot of my hair fell out and, you know, big changes. They were big kind of radical changes. Yeah, but you've got to eat. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's a pretty simple process. One day you wouldn't eat, next day you would have those two nutrient-dense meals. And it's very important, as we've heard before about alternate-day fasting, to make sure those refeed days are really good so you can keep that metabolism humming along, as they say. But, you know, a lot of people out there listening will be saying, well, you know, I, I couldn't do that when I start. And I always say to people, look, start slow, stay in your comfort zone. But very unusual to hear people are doing that. But you've had great success, so that's fantastic. And you sort of jump straight into it. And you're an all-or-nothing person, obviously, as you said. You know, you just thought to yourself, well, this is what I'm going to do. And you've settled into it now. So running through that sort of, you know, 10 pounds a month was coming off, that water weight, that inflammation was going, all those sorts of things. Was there anything else happening? Did you start seeing those non-scale victories and those health benefits that we talk about? Yes. <laughs> so the reduction in pain was a really big thing. I, I did hear you mention the other day, Graham, that um, you have osteoarthritis in your right hip. Um, I do too, and I actually didn't get diagnosed with what the problem was until I'd lost so much weight. It was incredibly obvious that the that the mus musculature had changed in my hip. I just thought I was so heavy I couldn't walk properly. Um, and and it was really painful to walk. And it was really difficult because I love walking and I love being outside, but I just couldn't do it. And COVID, you know, of course, happened in the middle of all of this um, or prior to this. And so I've become very um, – I sat a lot and I did a lot of work on Zoom with people. I could spend hours now and hours sitting. Anyway, um, so I just had a lot of pain. Um, and that really, it's not fully resolved. And if I eat the wrong thing on my eating days, then I experience pain again in my body. So the fasting days, once again, are this incredible opportunity for reset. And I experience a lot less pain on those days. Also, I had COVID about six weeks ago now. And I fasted through COVID um, and just ate very much. I ate, I listened to my body and I ate when I felt that I needed to eat. But mostly I did fast through my COVID journey and it really, really helped me with the symptoms because I was quite crook for about nine days, even though I was fully vaccinated and everything else. And um, yeah, so non scale victories. Um, my skin is so much better. Um, I'm not swollen all the time. Um, I'm in a really big transition at the moment, and so I'm under objectively a lot of stress. I'm between homes and all sorts of things are happening in my life, and it is objectively stressful. Um, but IF is just this incredibly useful navigational tool because that is like one of the areas of my life I can actually control and have, um, you know, real sort of six, I've had real success with it. So that's a non-scale victory too. Like re the regaining of my health, like I've given up. I had absolutely given up hope that I would be able to live in a healthy, pain-free body. Yeah, a lot of us get to that point, don't we? When we're obese or overweight, we we get to that stage where we just think, well, this is just how it is, you know. This You've tried everything, you, or you think you've tried everything, and, you know, you've gone up and down in your weight and that yo-yo and that sort of thing, and then you just go, 
no, this is just me. I'm just going to be big. I'm not going to worry about it. And then all of a sudden you discover IF, and then you get going and you think, wow, how come I didn't know about this before? And sort of what do you think the biggest differences are between intermittent fasting and those previous diets that you've been on? Oh, a few differences. <clears throat> so um, a number of years ago now, maybe less than 10, I'm not great with numbers, but I also um, developed a, a neurological pain condition in one side of my face called trigeminal, trigeminal neuralgia. And um, and it just knocked me sideways. I had to have very strong medication um, to deal with it. And, and it knocked me out for about six months. I actually couldn't form full sentences for a while because of the effect of the medication. It was terrible for a person in my profession because I need to talk. I couldn't drive. A whole lot of things happened. So I that was when I started uh, ketogenic eating because um, the drugs that I was on for that condition um, were anti-epileptic drugs. And I had read that keto was good for helping improve epilepsy, the symptoms of the epilepsy. That's why I started doing ketogenic eating at that point in my life. And I'm telling this story by way of comparison with IF. Um, in that, So I learned that food absolutely was medicine then because um, I was actually able over a period of six months to wean off the medication that I was on. And I was on a waiting list for brain surgery, which is one of the only um, treatments, not cures, for trigeminal neuralgia. And I was able to not only um, come off the medication, but I, I removed myself from that waiting list because I'd reduced my symptoms to basically nothing by calming my inflammatory system down, right? Um, but, but keto itself um, wasn't sustainable because it was like a – for me, it was just a diet. Yeah. And uh, but uh, the difference with the difference with IF, and it's interesting because I almost cancelled this um, uh, time together, Graham, because I felt so um, not perfect. Do you know what I mean? Like you hear people in their stories really triumphant, and I'm really kind of midway in mine. But what uh, the difference with IF is, I can keep on doing it every day. And I wanted to say to you that I did ADF, and then I did. Um, I know in our group we don't talk about it that much, but I do. I did 48-hour bursts and I also did a seasonal five-day fast. But I've come back and for the first time in my IF journey, I'm eating one meal a day. I lost a lot of weight like a bull at a gate. But in order for this to be a sustainable long-term life thing through all of the ups and downs of life, you've got to be able to be gentle with your body and that's a lesson I've had to learn you know to be gentle with myself and so this is the first period in the last two weeks where I've eaten one meal a day <laughs> I just wanted to tell you that because um I didn't think like I don't know how successful that will be for me in terms of further weight loss but because of all the stories I've heard and seen I believe that over the long term it may well help me drop a lot more of this weight just not as fast you know well, there's no rushes there. I mean, it's no. and um, I mean, you started off with ADF because your focus was you wanted to get that weight off, and now you sort of realise that you've got to that point. Well, how am I going to make this sustainable? How am I going to make this a long-term lifestyle? Yes. Do I not want to eat every day, or do I want to eat every other day? And then that's why I don't do ADF or anything like that because I want to eat once a day. I mean, yeah. I have to eat every day. That's just for me personally. Yeah. In that mindset, I like to eat after 5 o'clock every day. I like to have dinner with my wife. 
and that's just how I run. And on the weekends now and maintenance, I eat twice a day. I do sort of brunch or maybe a lot yes. or something like that for the social aspect. And, and I think you get to that point where you start, you know, tweaking your protocols or whatever, but you have to find what works for you. And if that's ADF, great. If it's one meal a day, great. If it's two meals a day, great. Find what works for you, but make it sustainable. Because unless you're able to make a plan and keep it sustainable for life, it becomes very hard to do. I mean, there's simply no way I could go to ADF now because I just didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to eat once a day and that's it. But, yeah, I really get And what was the difference when you sort of switched in? Did you find that really hard going from not eating every, every other day to eating once a day? How did you handle that? Well, I'm very fluid, um, and I've one of the things I wanted to really um, be cautious about was using fasting as a way to not listen to my body. So I didn't want to use intermittent fasting as a way to not listen. I wanted to use it as a way to really listen to what I needed. And I think that the those longer fasts for me were incredibly helpful because they really help reduce my pain and I could see that it were and my weight I'm probably about halfway towards what would be considered a healthy weight for me at the moment but I already feel just a million billion times better so as you say it's not a race it's a it's a lifetime and a lifestyle um it, it is interesting um so in the last two weeks either not eaten for the day or I've eaten um, I think this is the first time in what eight maybe eight months where I've had a week where I've it was it was my birthday and you know there were some of the social things, but I have eaten each day because I went to fast longer and I was just exhausted. And fasting, you know, those of us who fast, we know it brings you really good energy. But what I was finding was I was exhausted and I had to listen to that and go actually some eggs and some greens and some food would probably help me and so I ate and I actually did feel better and so those things that really lets me know too because I know I can fast for days if I I want to but it wasn't serving me I was actually exhausted yeah you're learning to listen to your body you're getting in tune with what your body needs you're learning about your trigger foods I mean Learning about your trigger foods is a big part of it, I feel. I mean, if you know what those foods are that are going to spike your weight, like you talked about the stuff that you were eating, the pizza and all that, that made you feel crook, and then you sort of identify them and you start weeding those out and then you start making some alternatives. And that's not denying those foods. That's simply eating, not eating the foods that make you feel terrible. And, I mean, that's yeah. common sense. It's not nothing to do with denying anything or sort of, you know, I'm on a diet. It's not a diet. It's just, okay, those foods don't work for me. They don't serve me well. So why am I eating them? It doesn't make any sense. And then when you start finding alternatives, you really start loving food. And I mean, obviously in Melbourne, one of the best food capitals in the world there, you've got food everywhere. And sort of you found that you sort of gravitated towards a higher quality of food now? Um, I always ate a high quality of food, Graham. I'll be, I'll be really straightforward. I really, I grew up, my mother was a health kind of food person and she came from a farming background so she knew what good healthy food was and we ate the three meals a day we had no snacks like I had that sort of background I was really blessed in that way um and as an adult I've had I I, I actually I love food I love the tastes and flavors of food um what was tricky for me was yeah finding what I could actually eat so I didn't have a huge junk food um habit or anything because it made me so sick I in some ways really lucky 
that it made me so sick. But the trick for me with food is why am I eating? I know this makes me feel bad. Why am I eating it? It's not because I'm addicted to it. It's because I do not want to feel what I'm feeling in my body right now. That For me, that that's actually been a very important part of this journey. So I don't want to feel sad. I, you know, whatever the emotion is, I don't want to feel angry. I don't want to feel despair. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. Hope. That's what that's what IF brought me. <laughs> yeah. Hope. Like I, I've just had the return of hope. Hope's a great word. Ah. I think the other thing it brings is inner peace. And, yeah. Um, you know, calmness, inner peace. That's what I found. It gave me peace. And I felt at peace with food. I felt at peace with myself. And obviously, the trauma and the emotional upheaval that you've had in your life mm. causes a lot of stress. And as we know, our cortisol rises when we get stressed. And, you know, as a result, we can gain weight for not a lot of reason, really, just because our bodies are so stressed and not coping with it. And our metabolism yeah. is not going good. And, I mean, how's it been now in sort of 10 months in? Do you find that your mood's really good now and that you sort of those stresses of the past are a bit easier to deal with and that sort of thing? Well, what is interesting is, um, so even though I've had very rapid weight loss, I've also had some significant plateaus. <laughs> I mean, what, what we call a significant plateau, I guess, would differ from person to person. But, you know, me being like a bull at a gate um, eventually stopped, did stop working. So I had to tweak and relax. And um, I'm trying to answer your question. I've almost forgotten what you asked me at the beginning of it. The, the truth is that life is going to continue, depending on what your life is like, throwing up challenges. I mean, that is actually part of what life does, you know, like it doesn't stop. And so there's this incredible beauty and love and joy in life. And there are very intense things that happen just in the course of a very normal life. And um, and then there's on top of that, there's, you know, global pandemics or whatever else it is, right? Um, so I have, I found tools through the COVID um, pandemic and I ran wellness groups, you know, so that we could come into a peaceful place. I ran three of those a week through the, the pandemic, coming into a peaceful place. And that was kind of separate from food or anything else. So I know how to access those spaces, but it just lets me have a, build a real solid base for myself in my body. So I think I have helped me really actually love where I'm at, whether I'm feeling crappy or not. Yeah. Before about how you sort of felt terrible about yourself and you put a lot of blame on yourself for things that mm. happened, which is totally wrong. I mean, that's none of that was your fault. And that's mm. why you should never accept that as being your fault. Those mm. are just awful things that happened and those people mm. are terrible that did them to you. And then so just take that straight out of the picture. I mean, never accept blame for that. And I, I think that's that's something that's a work through issue probably for the rest of your life that you'll always have those moments where you'll think about that. But it's the stress of, you know, eating for eating's sake that makes us obese at times. And then we wonder why we're doing it. I sat in my car in the drive through and I just sat there crying because I knew what I was doing was making me so obese and so unhappy. And now with IF, I find this inner peace and this happiness that I have. But you're right, we still have daily stresses. The life still goes on. We've still got to pay the bills. We've still got to go to work. You know, inflation's blowing everyone out. You know, our mortgages are going up. Everything's going up. And those are stressful things as well. And then we have children and then we have their stresses and everything else. You mentioned yeah. you've got a 15 and a 20-year-old. And I know what that's like. Mine are a bit older than that now and they've gone through school. But 
when they're at school, there's a lot of stresses as well. There's a lot of financial stress. And so, yeah, it, it, the stresses never go away. But I think if you learn to deal with them, then you don't use food as an answer to those stresses. It makes life easier, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It does. It just does. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the non-scale victories is definitely happiness. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've I've had a lot of really difficult things happen in my life, but I and I only really lost a sense of joy in life um, in patches. So I had um, battles with anxiety and depression, and mostly I did use food to, to try and deal with those, you know. Um, but I've also had concurrently, uh, you know, I've also blessed with lots of love, and and I have all sorts of ways to find peace, and uh, yeah. The more tools, the better. <laughs> I mean, you're a person that works with support. You're supporting other people in their grief and that sort of thing and, and helping people through your psychotherapist work. But, I mean, staying plugged into your tribe, as I call it, with intermittent fasting and finding those support links is really important. Have you found that finding those support, like people like Amanda and that sort of thing in the groups has been a big help to you? That's been the absolute difference. So one of the things, so one of my battles with body, with the body, is partly it was connected to such um, shaming and painful life experiences, both, you know, of abuse but also of the loss of my children. Um, you know, those things were devastating to me and they were body losses. Um, and I'd sort of kept them to myself. And I had kept, and I also really resented living in a culture where women were, in particular, but men too, but more and more men, I see it with boys, um, just shamed for not having the perfect body. Um, I, I just didn't accept that. And I've always had a really kind of um, broad love for other people and all the shapes and sizes they come in. And I actually really respected my body even at its biggest because it was so truthful. Like my, I might want to hide the truth of my life, but my body wasn't hiding it. My body was saying, Ruth's in pain, you know. Um, so I could live right up here. But my body was telling the truth. So I have a lot of respect for my body and I'm just learning through IF to treat it better. And I love the group. So this is the first time I've ever shared my weight loss journey with anyone. You know, I, I just kept it private. I didn't want to enter into that whole thing that women get into about, you know, thinking finally I had the perfect body, my life would be perfect. I just, I've always thought that was bullshit, but it didn't help me um, have a healthy body either. Do you know what I mean? And, and, the, oh, and the community, so I check every day. Oh, you know, I go on, I love to see how people are going. I love the messages about what's not working and I love the messages about what is working. And your Facebook group is my key platform landing spot i just check in there every day i really enjoy it i love it and it makes a huge difference because i don't feel like i'm just sort of padding around in the dark on my own with it i i know i'm that i have in common with millions of people the same thing and um that's great and i can encourage other people there and, and receive encouragement it's great and information, actually, you know, things to try if it's not working. And I encourage anybody out there listening that's looking for some support, come and join us here at the Fasting Highway Facebook group. 
It's a kind community. There's people from all over the world, as Ruth mentioned there, and any time of the day or night, you can get some support. And I think that's really important too. And also within your own sort of circle, I mean, you mentioned Amanda, your good friend there, and, and your sort of family, obviously, with your kids saying, hey, mum, you know, this, is that going to make you feel great? I really love that because yeah. that's your child saying to you, mum, I know that makes you feel unwell. And they love you enough to tell you that. And when a child is truthful like that, it's unconditional love. And when you get unconditional love from those around you, it's fantastic. And I think that's just so great. Yeah. It's good modeling for them too, isn't it? You know, in, in it's really good modeling for them to see that that you can persevere through things that you might have been struggling with for a long time. And it is possible to persevere and find ways forward. Yeah. You mentioned struggles here, obviously, you know, Sometimes intermittent fasting isn't a straight line. It's not a silver bullet. Was there any times where you sort of had some struggles when you you first started or even now? It's probably trickier at the moment. Um, You know, sometimes I'd be a bit tired because there was a lot of, you know, objective stress as well as doing IF, which was a major life change physically but um but I also just had so much more oh, mental clarity is what I forgot to chuck into the pot as a non-scale victory like in terms of managing anxiety and the struggles are with patience for me um, I realize even though one part of me is incredibly patient <laughs> other parts of me are not patient and so you know you want it all to happen but of course it's not going to all happen at once and it's not good for it to all happen and different things are healing as people say different things Maybe it's your emotions that are healing. Maybe it's um, an internal process that's healing, like your blood sugar coming back online, or your heart, you know, your your blood sugars realigning themselves, or whatever it is. You know, you don't know what's healing, and so it's not all about the weight loss. In fact, it becomes less and less about the weight loss, which is what everyone says as we go along. Like the weight loss is really important, and especially it's enormously important if you're morbidly obese, which I was. I mean, I'm still in the fully in the obese category, and I'm. My next goal is to kind of get down into just overweight. So I still have full-on weight loss goals because I am midway in this journey. But I understand more and more that it's about so much more than that. It's And, and gently does it, gently does it. And so for me, learning to be gentle and learning to accept where I, I am at with it, that that's perfectly okay. That's Those are the things that are struggles for me. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, sort of learning that love for yourself too, I found was really helpful along the way. And I mean, you're obviously a very resilient person. I mean, you're a mum of two children, busy, that sort of thing. You've got a career, all the rest of it. There's always stuff going on. And I think when you find that sort of love for yourself and make that time for yourself and just take that break during the week or whatever it may be and just say, hey, I'm going to have some me time now and just reflect whatever it may be, do some journaling and go for a walk. Think about yourself and, you know, sort of what you've been doing and things that you can improve on and all that sort of thing. Because we all live in a world of self-improvement where we can do better. And I always found, like, I sat down and I reflected once a week. I said, okay, what what can I do next week a little bit better than I didn't do last week? And once Mm -hmm. I started doing that and got into that process, you always found that gradual improvement. And it wasn't all about the weight loss. You're right. I mean, I lost an enormous amount of weight, as you know. But for me, that was only part of it. For me, what intermittent fasting did, it's not only, well, through the weight loss, obviously, but there were so many more things that came. I mean, all these health benefits and the non-scale victories and Mm -hmm. just things I could do now. I mean, 
like you said, just going for a simple walk or doing stuff like that or just doing anything without the weight on you is so mm. free. And I mean, 74 pounds is so mm. great. I mean, you know, 34 kilos or, or that sort of thing. But you know, you mentioned there that you're only halfway through your journey. So we, we will say at this point too that we are going to follow you up in six or 12 months' time because it's important to interview people also that are on the journey and how they started and where they are now and then come back later and see how they went on. Otherwise, you don't get that full picture. So I think that's important. So what are your plans now? Are you going to stick with the sort of OMAD or are you going to try something else? If I could just stick with one thing and it kept on working for me, Graham, I would do that. And sometimes I, I listen with envy <laughs> to people who say that they can do that because somehow, like my life, it's been much more like this. Um, and I'm not sure how much that has to do with me not being particularly patient and and or that I have the sort of body where you've got to kind of just keep changing it up a bit. I'm going to um, – what IF is really helping me with is like – so a block of fasting is clearly really important, whether it's um, 20 hours or 16 on a really uh, tight day or, you know, I think I probably will do – I could do a five-day fast for spring. It was a really um, – interesting experience and I supported myself properly and took electrolytes and all those sorts of things that really help you do extended fasting. So I think I'll just keep changing it up but I think I will go quite a bit more gently um, and probably OMAD at least for another couple of weeks unless I feel that it's easy for me again to ADF. Um, I'm not going to push myself at the moment. I'm in, I'm in the process of selling a house and looking for a new place to live. And there are a lot of, you know, just life stresses that I need to be cognizant of, you know. But I just know that I can. And in the past, I would have given up by now. You know what I mean? And I would have just, just brushed aside the success I had and watched it disappear. Whereas I just don't feel like that with IF. I know I can just keep on gently every day making that choice is today a day I like eating like you um after five and having that meal um it just feels luxurious to me at the moment to eat every day once a day <laughs> yeah becomes a theatrical experience for me and, <laughs> yes. um, you know whereas food before was just volume when I was morbidly obese that's all it was for me it was just volume I never tasted it I never knew what it even tasted like I used to just shovel it in you know my fork was a shovel and that was yeah. it. And, you know, I sort of, once I realized and I started slowing down that mindful eating, deliberate, slow, deliberate, and then getting better quality food and being able to taste the flavors and the, the enjoyment of it and the visual, oh, yeah. and, you know, and just plating your, putting your plate up nicely, that sort of thing, taking time with the presentation and all of that and making it a really nice experience every day. And that way you start becoming in love with food again, but for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. And now I eat to sustain myself. I don't just eat for the sake of eating. So there's the big difference here. But I can't tell you, Ruth, how sort of great it's been to talk to you today. But if you were sitting in front of people there or in Melbourne in a cafe and they were saying, hey, Ruth, you look really great. What's going on with this intermittent fasting? How do we start? What would you tell them now, knowing what you know at the moment? I would direct them to the books and the Facebook group and say, have a, and the podcast and say, have a listen. And, and I would, one of the things that made a big difference for me was seeing long-term results from people in the groups and on the podcast. So I direct them to those and say, look, if you're worried about, if you know, especially people with dieting histories, you know, which is a lot of women and probably quite a few men, but women really seem to dive deep into that. See that it works over time and that you can trust it. 
you can trust it as a process and just start where you're at on the day. So, you know, do start more slowly or, <laughs> you know, rip off the Band-Aid and dive straight in and see how that goes for you. See how it goes. So I would say either because, I mean, I, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Like, you know, there are people like me out there who, who do, do just kind of go fully in in a different way. But it isn't – what I under, what I'm understanding really now is that for the long term, I'm really looking forward to having a more gentle ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, great advice. Mm. Just mm. find your own way and start at yeah. your own pace. I mean, yeah. if you are a type of person like Ruth is and you want to rip off the Band-Aid and jump in, and do that. But also it's important to realize that you don't do something that's going to make it hard. Yes. When you do something that's hard, you're going to give it up quickly. So just make sure what you're doing is gently. I always say to people, if you want to start off at 14 and 10 or 16 and 8, just to get going. And after a couple of weeks, you might jazz it up to 18 and 6 or 20 and 4. And then all of a sudden you might say, oh, well, hey, I'm going to try a bit of ADF. Or I'm going to try a bit of extended fasting. But it's really important to just nail that clean fast first, isn't it? Once you nail that clean fast, then everything else will fall into place. And we never really touched on that, but the clean fast, was that important for you, the knowledge that you Oh, yeah. Have? So one of the um, things for me with eating is that I, I'm, I'm highly – highly sensitive person like Elaine Walker I think was talking about it was really nice to hear somebody else name that and um and so that expresses itself in my body so 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 um the clean fast it's such a relief not to eat if you're a person when you eat it just sets off 15 things in your body you know so so clean fasting was just this pure relief and the only times that I haven't clean fasted through my entire journey were into a bit of extended fasting where I was incredibly cold and I heard on one of the um, Jason Fung podcasts, the fasting method podcast, um, that you could take like a teaspoon of MCT oil in your coffee and it would help your body get over a hump. And so I did that a couple of times and now I don't get cold anymore and I don't have to continue to take it either. I took it twice and it did just seem to kind of push something, push a button in the body that went, oh, yeah, let's burn some ketones and, and, and warm her up. So but by and large, every uh, – and it was just this, this wonderful relief. You know, I have two coffees in the morning, diluted black coffee, and the rest of the day, sparkling mineral water. I take magnesium, a bit of that, that stuff just to help my body. Um, but it's not necessary unless, you know, you've got kind of pain or something. Well, Ruth, thank you so much. We're just about out of time now. But <laughs> as I said before, I, I find you very interesting and I think you've been very inspiring today. And I'm super looking forward to catching up with you in six to 12 months' time to hear the rest of your journey. And, and by that stage, I guess you'll be heading into maintenance or be at maintenance for some mm -hmm. time. And, and we really want to hear about that. But thank you for joining me here today on the Fasting Highway. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Ruth. And thank you for sharing everything that you did in the podcast. And I really thank you for being so vulnerable and open uh, about your journey and also your journey with intermittent fasting. And thank you for sharing that. And I wish you every success in the future. And I look forward to catching up with you in six to 12 months time to see where you are. And I'm sure you're going to be highly successful in living life in the intermittent fasting lifestyle maintenance phase. Okay, folks, uh, also as mentioned in the podcast, if you do want to get some inspiration and motivation to start 
You can find that in a couple of places. Uh, firstly, the Facebook group, uh, Fasting Highway. Uh, you can come and join us there. We've got nearly 8,000 members from all over the world. Uh, there's someone on dock uh, 24-7 a day to take your questions or help you out if you've got a problem or you just want to have some questions around intermittent fasting and what to do. Also, if you're getting stuck, if you've been on the journey for a while or if you're in maintenance and you tend to be struggling with that, there's always somebody in that with that experience to help you. So that's the Fasting Highway Facebook group. Also, if you want to read a story that will resonate with you, a step-by-step guide into how I did it with my own intermittent fasting journey, uh, losing the 60 kilos or 132 pounds and keeping that off for some years now, uh, you can read about that in my book, The Fasting Highway. Um, You'll find that on Amazon and both paperback and Kindle. Anyway, folks, until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.